My guest today is Leslie Slayton-Brown, the Chief Diversity Officer at Hewlett-Packard. She started her career there in marketing, and she was asking about certain demographics and how they were being served as customers. Naturally, that evolved to ask how those same populations were being offered jobs, considered for advancement, and being heard within the company. Listen up as Leslie tells us how HP walks their talk on issues of corporate social responsibility, diversity, and equality. Leslie, I am so glad that you could take the time to join us this week. It's been just such a wild ride the last few months. Okay, so I'm going to tell you selfishly, Mm. your voice alone is calming to me. (laughs) So I get the benefit of this myself, (laughs) my (laughs) mindfulness coach. (laughs) Oh, bless you. I'll try not to get too excited. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) Where should we start? I think uh, let's hear a little bit about how you got to where you are, because it's interesting that a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are also marketers. Mm. Got into HP, isn't it? Yes, my fellow marketers, I love that. Yeah, and you know, and interestingly enough, my my actual degree is in communications, um, and with an emphasis in marketing. And um, and my career has been all over the place in so many great ways. Um, I actually started out in banking and as a um, as a manager trainee um, to one day run my own branch, you know, and mm-hmm. that quick that, that was a quick career because I was a part of a bank robbery and I was like, OK, thank you. I don't think so. Wait, wait, you robbed a bank. <laughs> I didn't rob the bank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But to witness that. Um, was 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 something that really causes you to step back and to really kind of question and reflect on, you know, how how much uh, like in harm's way do you want to put yourself, you know, in, in that type of situation. And to be honest with you, it was what what I was attracted to was the relationship building about uh, around that. I was also attracted to the fact that you then had control over who you could give loans to. And talk through, you know, kind of your financial uh, situations and different things like that. And this, and it, and it brings kind of this conversation full circle. And I'll tell you in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went from that into corporate comms, and then from corporate comms into marketing promotion, sales promotion, and that's how I kind of got my entry into um, into HP. And um, and the beautiful thing about working for a company like HP is you can go anywhere in it. Like there's entrepreneurship in it, there's research in it, there's, there's kind of some of everything. And, um, and so I did, you know, I did marketing and sales promotion, I did advertising, I did product marketing, where I was looking at pricing strategies for derivative products and negotiations with the manufacturer and, you know, and all those kinds of things. But you get a really good breadth of experience. But what I found, Janet, was I was typically the person at the table asking questions that probably seemed a little random and one-off relative to the general population thinking, mm-hmm. um, because my, my questions tended to focus on, but what about 
this group of people or that group of people? What's the earning income or the, the size of, of pocket um, for this group of people? And so it often led to questions around, hmm, hadn't thought about, you know, hadn't thought about that. Maybe we should be marketing there or there. Um, and that landed me in a multicultural marketing position. And so, um, so I've kind of been, you know, in, in a number of different places with this. I actually went out for a little bit and did a dot-com startup. And uh, with, I was like one of eight that grew to about 450 and then very quickly shrunk to about 200 and kept downsizing. And then I also did some work around um, the digital divide, looking at the have and have nots in technology. And I thought then that that was job of my lifetime and forever, this would be it. And it was the job of my lifetime and it still continues, but it was around how do you go into third world countries and help build sustainable economies, mm. economies of scale. And it was so, such a rewarding experience to be able to bring all of my, all of my experience, all of my expertise into a package in which you were helping country a whole country, wow. like grow their economy up. And then, you know, I, I, I will admit that um, I, I'm considered a boomeranger at HP. In my 25 years, I've been in and out twice. And so, and then I, I went out and I, I, I saw this broadening gap in the tech industry of where are all the minorities? Where are the women? Like, that's those same questions that I, were, I was asking were the questions I was asking, like internal is like, what happened to our workforce? Why this is 30 years, well, not quite 30 years, but at the time, you know, 15, you know, years or so going into 20 years, where, where's all that diverse talent that we worked so hard to get? Mm. And so I just kind of went out and started doing some research about what's going on and what's the, what's the, what are the barriers in the, the, uh, reasons to the challenges for people to have lack of access to technology, to even get inspired to be a technologist, and um, and did some work around that. And about that time, two years in, HP was dividing, splitting um, companies, and this diversity kind of chief diversity officer role came came about. And so it was taking similar concept of the the monetizing the value of your customer to looking at how do you monetize the value of your employee and putting it under this umbrella around diversity and really elevating it to be more than just the check box of I've got, you know, this demographic and that gender and, you know, to really um, looking at, and now even more so, I feel like we're at this pivotal kind of intersection around um, the, the racial harmony that we need to have within companies. And so it's the diversity and inclusion and equity and the like, racial and social equality. So that, what I said, brings me full circle on this is when I was making those decisions of who you could legitimately give loans to also comes into this space around the systemic racism, the structural racism, that in, in, in institutional racism that has, in, in many cases, um, limited groups, and, and in this case, Black Americans, the opportunity for economic success. And so it is, it's a full circle moment for me. And I am, I, I'm saying I'm loving it. I'm not loving that we're here, but I'm loving that we now recognize and that 
the rest of the world has had this awakening, you know, that we long carried the burdens and the stress um, for hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really is fascinating to me how the stress of everything else that was going on kind of built us up to the point where we'd reached a breaking point anyway. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of these horrific things that have been happening just really woke people up to going, okay, I am done with this. Yeah. I'm just done. Yeah. And it's so enervating to just see that people who normally are not very outspoken about race, about gender, any of those things. And all of a sudden they're going, wow, I, I didn't even notice about myself the stupid things I've been saying or just the thoughtless, mm-hmm. the unconsidered things. Yeah. And, you know, when people talk about microaggressions, um, you don't really realize that even when a really good friend explains to you, this happened to me. If you haven't been in that position, you go, yeah, okay, get past it. But you don't realize how often it happens and how right it is. Oh, that is so true. You know, I was sharing with, I was sharing with a colleague a story about, um, so I work in Palo Alto Mm -hmm. and um, I had a, uh, an event to go to in the evening and so I had like a two hour, three hour gap between leaving a meeting to when this event started and I wanted to just kind of run in and I don't know, buy a new blouse or something. Right. And the minute I went into this particular store, immediately eyes were on me. I was being followed. And this person said to me, well, I would have just turned around and I would have just said, well, what's your problem? And I kind of laughed and, and let them finish on with that, what they would do. But the thing is this, they don't realize how often that happens and how Mm -hmm. much energy that drains from you every single time you walk into a place and you're being followed. Or I can remember being uh, shopping with a girlfriend and she took a couple of items and she kind of threw them into her bag, you know, as we were shopping, you know, with the intent that it's just convenience right now, right? I wouldn't have in a million years thought to put or hook anything on any of my personal belongings other than a shopping cart or, you know, whatever. And so, um, but it's one of those things that it's, um, you know, it's, it, it takes the energy. You have to decide which fight you're going to go for because Mm -hmm. it happens so often. And, um, and, and unfortunately, sometimes we even get used to it you know, that, that you prepare mentally, um, for, okay, you know, is this the day you're like, do I have the energy today or not? Yeah. And and that's part of the problem is that people who have to deal with it day by day, get used to it. And that makes people who are putting it upon you getting used to it too. Yes. Even think about it because they, it hasn't, you know, and where is that line? Because You don't want to be confrontational for your entire day. You Mm -hmm. don't want to be that confrontational person, but somebody's got to wake people up. Yes. And it's so challenging because it can't necessarily be the person of the race that's being 
hassled. So true. It's a conversation I've been having a lot lately. You know, people are like, oh, well, how can white people tell other white people how to be good when they don't understand it? And I'm saying, you know what? We have to because some people are not going to listen to anybody mm-hmm. else that doesn't look like them. That's we have so to start true. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the work we're doing right now, too, at HP is really looking at um, we, you know, we started actually, Janet, we started with. Um, after the after the brutal killing of George Floyd, mm-hmm. we started with, by pulling together a, a town hall, and the goal that I had for that town hall was to pull, you know, six of my colleagues, um, kind of across the gender spectrum, across the age spectrum, across the industry spectrum, to to join this conversation and share, like, how are you feeling? Like, let's just start there. How are you feeling? How are you doing? And um, and and um, and it was really telling the the um, the amount, the weight more than anything that our employees were were burdening. And there was story after story of people that you work with, we work with day to day that you think are doing just fine. They're not fine. We're not fine. And so we started with that, and then we went to our second step was, our second town hall rather was around, we went from how are you feeling to what can I do? Because many of the emails, the text messages, the IMs that I got from folks were, hey, Leslie, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm sorry that that happened to you, that person, whomever, what can I do? And so there was this empathy that rose that I hadn't seen, not to say that I work with people that don't care about me, but I often don't share. And, and, and I, one of the, one of the things that I said is, is like when this camera goes off, especially in this in virtual environment that we're in, when this camera goes off, the smile's not always there. In fact, right now at that time, the smile wasn't there. Right. It was not there. It was, um, I was, I was personally going between smiling and another announcement on the news of another killing and smiling and a phone call that, you know, somebody I, I know that's dear to me has been diagnosed with COVID and is going into ICU and, you know, and, and smiling and the next, you know, somebody's lost their job. Because disproportionately, the impact that a lot of this has had on the black community and the brown community has just been alarming. Yes. And so we went from how are you doing to what can I do? And where our next step is about now self-reflection, because we've had so many people have these awakenings and wanting to lean into and, and, and kind of raise their hand to help. Mm-hmm. And I say there is... There has been traditionally a line, and now it is expected as as a friend, as a colleague, as a neighbor, as a whatever, part of my criteria for our relationship is my expectation that you now know, know better, now do better, right? Yeah. And so it's time to cross that line. And um, and what we're doing is, is we're training up our managers, our leaders, and our, our people to now be what we call upstanders versus bystanders. Mm-hmm. And so an upstander stands up, 
speaks up on behalf of and raises their voice rather than sit and watch and then wait until the meeting's over with um, and talk to an individual about, wow, I can't believe that, you know, that happened to you. We'll know. Let's talk about it in, in, in the set of that conversation. Doesn't mean we have to be rude. It doesn't, none of that. It means that it's in very um, polite way. As a leader, it's expected of you to raise your voice. Yeah. And that's, you know, it doesn't have to be screaming and shouting, this is wrong. It doesn't have to be like that. Although sometimes that's very appropriate, <laughs> but simply just expressing compassion. And I think compassion is such an important quality for leaders to have. And when I say compassion, I mean compassion, not empathy. That it's really mm -hmm. about, wow, I really am feeling this and yes. I want to do something. Yes. So I'm getting off my butt now. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so it is, it is, it's, it's, um, you know, turbulent times and, um, but, but it's kind of interesting because I am so optimistic right now. I am so hopeful with the work that we're doing and the voices that are, are rising up. I will even tell you this, Janet, one of the things that I did was after we had these sessions with our executive leadership team, I asked each of them if they would be willing to make a commitment on what they will personally do mm -hmm. around Black Lives Matter, either personally and, and or within their organization. And each of them of the, what, 15, 17, however many we have, each of them made from one, two, in some cases, six commitments that they publicly stated at the end of one of our town halls so that every single employee could hear what they're committing to do around Black Lives Matter and around racial and social justice um, for themselves, for their families, and for the company. And it was extremely powerful really really powerful now the 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 thing that i'm so optimistic about is is we've we're putting in places scorecards and accountability measures so that we hold people to what they say they're going to do um and honestly not that i think that they need that because i trust that they will do it but so that others can see how we're tracking along the continuum um, as we do this work. Yeah, and that's that's really important that there are there's accountability in place and visibility at the same time, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, back in the day when I worked in the restaurant industry, you know, I worked in a primarily male-dominated office, place, kitchen, whatever. There was a big Latino population, there was a big Filipino population, but everybody who was running the bus was old white guys. Yeah. And you know, the things that they would say and the things that happened um, set a lot of stuff off and they started, you know, we're going to have a diversity program. And it was another one of those check the box kind of things. Yep, we did that. Okay, we're done now. And then they go back to doing a lot yeah. of things that were pretty outrageous. And I think that there are still an awful lot of D&I programs that are nothing more than, yes, we check that box. Yeah. And it, it's so refreshing to hear that you know, you've worked so hard to find ways to really get people to that level of, I'm accountable to the people that I'm leading, that mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. Yes, very and much so. Matters. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I, 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 people probably, at least people at work probably get tired of me saying this, but I always say the time for talk is over. The time for action is now. It's about what you do. It is right. And, 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 you know, I have seen some large dollar amounts coming out of, out of companies um, and donations and different things like that. And not that that's not needed, but at the end of the day, how are you going to measure the impact of that? How, so we could, that, that we know that we are making impact um, and we're effective in what we're doing. And I think one of my frustrations would be in, in the spaces is it's true that there hasn't been significant change. We've made, you know, we've, we've moved the needle little by little by little. And, and as I said before, I think the standard or the criteria is much more than just, you know, what you're recruiting and what you're bringing in. It's how do you build that infrastructure Mm-hmm. And how do you build an ecosystem, a dynamic ecosystem that becomes self-sufficient in some ways, right? So we started by literally, when we separated, building a diverse board of directors. And the value of that, that board of directors is, is that you bring in an opportunity to do kind of a buddy system or a reverse mentorship. So you have the board members that are, in most cases, um, CEO level Mm-hmm. that are mentoring your ex- your executive leadership or your line uh, managers, which for us is very culturally diverse, but we're still lacking in ethnic diversity there. You know, and on down the line, and it ca- cascades down, we've put together a global diversity advisory board. And all of those things are things that are easy to check off. Mm-hmm. But when you start looking at building in performance metrics and um, scorecards and, and dashboards and different things like that and reporting out to ensure that you're taking action around those things. It begins to build a system, right? That That is, I say, I want this to outlast me. Definitely. So it, it's not about, you know, just doing what I think Leslie thinks are the right things to do. It's about building and embedding it deep into the strategy and the structure of the company so that it has staying power. So for us, it's awesome because it's about our values. For HP, it's about values and business. And we bring those two things together and we will always stand on that. Mm-hmm. And so um, we've got it built into our sustainability impact framework around our planet and how we care for people and for communities. And so that's an entire system and structure that we've, that we've built into this. Not to say that there's not more for us to do. There's absolutely more for us to do. But I feel like me as, a, as, the, as the diversity officer for the company and my colleagues at other companies across the globe, I really, to, I really want us to hold our feet to the fire on being able to do and not just say. And you'll hear me talk about that a lot. Yeah, and that, that's a very holistic approach to... This is more than just checking the boxes. It's more than making, you know, statements. It's really in enveloping the whole company mm-hmm. and all of the companies, the partner companies that you work with, your vendors. I, I understand that you're working with the vendors as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so part of what, when I talk about embedding, um, one of the things that we did was, um, you know, we asked our leaderships, like, what influence do you have in the industries that you work in? So whether it was legal, we had our global counsel, literally Kim Rivera, she 
pushed out to the, the law firms that we work with and set up a 10% holdback program with them to, to really force them to get to that level of diversity at the highest levels of the law firms. Mm-hmm. And we did that to make sure that they're representative of our customer base, our voice, our tone that we do within HP. We did that in our marketing and communications um, area as well with our, our agencies that we work with. We saw exponential growth in getting women into leadership positions. Still more work to do with ethnic minorities, but got women, you know, at the highest levels of these company or um, agencies. And again, working on our business to reflect our customer, mm. purchasers of our products, right? Um, we're doing that with Treasury. We've done it in our channel programs. And, um, and you'll continue to see more of that with the work that we're doing at HP. But it's vitally important that it goes beyond. And, you know, I, I often say, you know, we wanted to reinvent the standard of what they said diversity is supposed to be mm-hmm. and go beyond that. And now we're going beyond it in a place where as we bring in kind of the racial justice and, and um, the, the racial equality conversation is about how do we become that company where we're already seen as that ethical company, but how do we continue to be the beacon or the lighthouse for the brand and for the industry of what everybody should really be doing? Mm, Yeah. So let's step back a minute and think about a company that wants to look to HP as leadership you were talking about, you know, the dashboards, that those metrics, what basis should people be using to see, you know, okay, we have got a more diverse workforce. We definitely have happier people working in the company. What other metrics do you look at that people can be using as kind of, you know, setting that standard and, and being able to see progress? Because that's bottom line, what, you know, some businesses are going to be looking at, they're going to be looking at, well, is it profitable or not? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously profitable and shareholder value is important, but the values of the company, I think corporate social responsibility is much, Mm -hmm. much more important to um, in particular millennials, for example, that are coming in. They care about companies that care about the people, the planet, communities. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that that we look at too is is in and in particular when you think about diversity, there is I think that there's a perception that diverse talent doesn't exist, hmm. and it and it does. The diverse talent is out there. What's happened though, Janet, is that we've become accustomed to a system that says these are the better institutions to um, recruit from. So therefore you overlook historically black colleges and universities, for example, Mm -hmm. or um, HSI's Hispanic serving institutions. And the reality is, is, and I had, I had one of my mentors tell me this, you know, long ago is that smart people and good talent are everywhere. They're not just at Yale or Harvard or Stanford or, and and that's great to be able to go to those schools and to achieve that. But there's also good talent in other places. Mm -hmm. And so when you have a system that has been built and biases that have been 
um, embedded or baked into our minds around what good looks like and what's right, then you have a, 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 um, a mindset that tells you that those other places aren't the best places to go. You're not going to get the best talent there. Mm-hmm. And so we actually did work around and, and had a whole campaign around reinvent mindsets. And it was about dealing with the microaggressions and the biases of being able to look at, you know, we're hiring on talent. We're not looking at all of those. We have to remove the, we have to remove and open our lens of what good talent looks like and welcome and usher that in. And so some of the work that we're doing and some of the measures that we have is it's, it's one thing to bring the talent in. It's another to, thing to develop and nurture the talent that you have. So promotions are viewed and looked at as well. We have a program that when uh, folks came into this program, uh, um, this one was targeted at women. Uh, 78% of the people that participated in the program, we saw them elevate to other positions. And sometimes it was just movement and movement is good. I'm an example of great movement Mm -hmm. that then gives you uh, mobility upward, right? Um, And so it's looking at things like that and understanding, you know, how people, the retention, for example, typically ethnic minorities, women, um, attract at a higher rate than white men in the tech industry in particular. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to be able to measure your retention but by, by doing that, it's like you can't just look at, we take a company survey and everybody said 82%. And by the way, we have amazing scores when we look at HP values, diversity, and HP allows me to bring my whole self to work and, mm-hmm. you know, those things. And 82%, 89%, wonderful numbers, 90, you know, up into the 90s. But what about those small percentages of people that don't feel that way? And sometimes they might be your minorities and your women. And so you've got to really peel back the layers and be able to understand, really understand your data. Mm-hmm. Data is important, but also the stories mm. are really impactful as well. And so it's great to have wonderful environments, but I, you know, when you get emails of somebody saying, yeah, but, you know, I, I was told that I, I don't belong here, I, you know, a technical woman, for example, then there's still work for you to do. And those are the types of things that we look at. Mm-hmm. Um, our board holds us accountable. And that's a benefit of having a diverse board is they're, they're representative of, gosh, we have every ethnic um, the ethnicity, I think, is representative on our board, gender, you know, the whole bit. And so it is really, really important that, that we hear their voices and that they understand what's happening within the company because then they can better influence as well. And so those are just kind of some of the things that we, we take a look at. That's really great because I, I do think that it's incredibly important that we look at those stories because mm-hmm. data is generally just numbers and often are filled out in, you know, yes, yes I'm going to check that box too. And, you know, but it, the success stories and those stories of growth inspire other people to aspire to that position as well. Correct. You know? Correct. Yeah. 
And so, so when we have a, a board of directors, which by the way is the most diverse in the U.S. tech industry, mm-hmm. so we have 42% women, we have 33% underrepresented minorities, and 58% total minorities. And it's the breakdown of Asian, Hispanic, Black, you know, Native American, like the whole bit. We look at all of all, all of those different things, and people come into the company. And they need to see opportunity. They need to see somebody that looks like them and that somebody that they can relate to so mm-hmm. that they under they that so that they know that they have potential and possibility within that company. And so there's a young woman I was just recently talking with, very new to the company, hired in the midst of COVID in a virtual environment and everything. And she said to me, she said, as she was saying, like, I, I'm a new hire in the midst of all of this. And so when I asked her, I says, well, what got your attention for HP? She said, um, when I saw the job description and talked with the hiring manager, she just said, you know what? We're a values company. We're looking at, we want to, you know, kind of, we believe that diversity drives innovation. And so therefore we hire on that. And we're looking for talented people to just to be a part of this, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, um, and that just, it really put a smile on my face because it's like, that's what you should be doing. You should not be that manager or that leader that, that questions, well, don't you want qualified people? Okay. Microaggression. Are you making an assumption then that because you're a woman or because you're a person of color that you're not qualified? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so those are, those are some of the things that we do training and we actually test that out because we want to move people away from, so we do growth mindset work and um, mindfulness work. We want to move people away from that mentality and that thinking and really a greater understanding. And by the way, take the initiative to continually learn and grow yourself, right? Mm -hmm around racism, around microaggressions and biases, around being a a conscious leader, you know, those types of things. I love hearing that. That's, that's really amazing. And, you know, I think the idea that the, maybe it was somebody from HR, maybe it was a manager really does believe the culture and, you know, walks the talk is, is really heartening. Very, very much. So I, I like, I like to say with at HP, our, um, our culture is our secret sauce. It's our differentiator. Mm. And having been out on the outside and did consulting myself, I've worked with a number of tech companies in, you know, in their startup mode and in their teenage years as, as well. And it's just like, yeah, no, there's something very unique and something very special about um, HP as a company that was kind of the startup of the Silicon Valley, you know, with mm-hmm. Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard. And they were very progressive in their thinking early on. And, and the interesting thing is, is, and we haven't wavered from that as far as like the HP way, there was something very special about that. They were onto something. And so we are just, um, it, was, it was the number one thing when HP was separating as a company it was the number one thing that people said, like, bring it back and let's take it with us, that HP way. And so we, we, we do that. We'll continue to do that. And um, we will continue to invest in a healthy and 
robust culture where people can truly bring their whole selves um, into the workplace day to day, no matter their sexual orientation, their their uh, race, their ethnicity, their uh, religious um, beliefs, all of those things are welcomed um, at HP. Mm. That sounds great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Leslie. I, I always love talking to you. And, and when we talked about this, gosh, I guess a week ago, I was just so impressed with the difference that I've seen in the way that you're doing things and, and other companies that I've spoken with that I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> Here I was kind of losing hope. And then I <laughs> called you on the phone and you were like, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, Janet, thank you for saying that. I, I um, We have great people. I have phenomenal leadership that mm-hmm. allows me that runway to, to bring my voice, to bring my ideas, um, to share their ideas as well. And a really, really strong diversity and inclusion team, culture team, engagement team, HR team you know, together we make this happen. I'd love to be able to say, yay, me. But I I say, yay, we, because it takes everybody Mm -hmm. being in and a part of this to make it happen. I often say that inclusion starts with I. And I think in order to do what we need to do, each individual needs to have a stake in this mm-hmm. um, for us to be successful. So I do appreciate you saying that and um, really appreciate taking this time to talk with you too. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Why don't you tell folks, Leslie, and I'll, I'll put it in the, the links as well, but why don't you tell people where to find you and where to learn more about HP and the diversity program? Cool. Sure. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at daily slate, slate for Slayton, <laughs> daily slate. And for HP, hp.com slash diversity, and you can see what we're doing, what we're about, um, where we're focused, and where and how we partner for success. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Janet. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing, and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at JanetFouts.com. And please send me feedback there too, or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.